Hello, and welcome to ACRAC. I'm Jed Wolplaw, and I'm excited to have on the show today Dr. Amit Prabhakar, who is one of our ICU fellows, one of our surgical ICU fellows here at Johns Hopkins, and I've had a, the pleasure of working with him multiple times in the ICU. He's taken an interest in Sugamadex and gave a fantastic Grand Rounds presentation on it, and so I've invited him here on the show to talk about Sugamadex. Amit, welcome to the show. Hey, Jed. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's jump right in. Um, let's assume there are people out there who don't have this drug at all. It's only relatively recently been approved in this country. So why don't you start by just giving us some background. What is Sugamadex? So it's a revolutionary medication that was actually uh, just approved by the FDA in December of 2015 uh, and indicated for the reversal of both moderate and deep neuromuscular blockade. Interesting. So when you say moderate and deep, in other words, this medication can reverse neuromuscular blockade before it's even reversible at all by neostigmine glycopyrrolate. Correct. That's okay. absolutely correct. Fascinating. All right. So and tell us how it works. Okay, so it's a modified gamma cyclodextran that works totally differently than neostigmine. So after IV injection of the medication, the molecule distributes throughout the plasma and binds to the neuromuscular blocking agents, either rocuronium or vecuronium, to form an inert complex. And what it does, how it does this, it, it basically directly encapsulates and thus inactivates the aminosteroid neuromuscular blocker. Of note, though, this does not affect the release or breakdown of acetylcholine. Interesting. So we think of normally what we do with our neostigmine as we are blocking the breakdown of acetylcholine, therefore flooding the end plate with acetylcholine. It competes with the rock or the back. In this case, you're saying this drug surrounds and encapsulates the rocuronium, and therefore it can't act at all. Exactly. So the unique structure basically acts as a sink for free rocuronium that creates a gradient for resulting in the subsequent shift of rocuronium into the plasma itself. So tell me if I've got this. Uh, the uh, Sugamidex will surround the rocuronium in the plasma, essentially pulling that out of circulation. And then there's now this gradient where rocuronium that was at the neuromuscular junction will diffuse out of the neuromuscular junction and into the plasma. Exactly right. Great. All right. So that means there's less rocuronium and eventually no rocuronium at the neuromuscular junction, and we get reversal. Correct. All right. Great. So um, let's take a second and, and just review for everyone. I briefly touched on this, but let's review how traditional neuromuscular blockade works. So you want to do that for us? Yeah, absolutely. So your conventional neuromuscular blockade reversal will in, encompass a acetylcholinesterase inhibitor, most likely, most commonly neostigmine, and also an anticholinergic agent, usually glycopyrrolate, aerobinol. And why do we use both of those? So to counteract some of the unwanted effects associated with an increased amount of acetylcholine in your body. So it's an, it's an effective way for neuromuscular blockade reversal, but it can be associated with a variety of potential unwanted side effects, such as nausea, vomiting, changes in heart rate. Not, those are changes that not every patient can tolerate. Absolutely. Um, and indeed, uh, we try to play around with a dose of neostigmine and glycopyrrolate uh, to find one that would be hemodynamically stable, but we still often see tachycardia uh, from these, this dosing. 
All right. So that's the traditional way. Uh, there are certainly other ways uh, other than neostigmine and glycopyrrolate. Some places will use peridostigmine and atropine. Uh, but very commonly, at least in this country, glycopyrrolate and neostigmine. And as you said, uh, the glycopyrrolate will counter the effects of the neostigmine at the muscarinic receptors, but leaving the nicotinic receptors alone. And hence, we still get the neuromuscular reversal at the neuromuscular junction. Now, how efficient is this? I mean, when, when you give uh, neostigmine glycopyrrolate, do we get instantaneous reversal? Definitely not. Uh, that's actually one of the downsides for this conventional method of neuromuscular blockade reversal in, in that it can take up to 20 minutes for full reversal. That's right. That's that's absolutely true. And if you have, uh, that's even if you have three or four twitches back, uh, it can take twenty minutes or more for you to get full reversal. And if someone only has one or two twitches, it can take quite a while longer. So neostigmine glycopyrrolate not uh, the ideal drug for rapid reversal. So now we've got sugamidex. How long does it take uh, to reverse somebody with sugamidex? So it depends on the dose, but generally it can take approximately about three minutes to get full neuromuscular blockade reversal with Sugamidex. Okay, so that's a lot faster. So maybe we should talk a little about the pharmacodynamics and pharmacokinetics of Sugamidex. Um, What do you think is important to know? So the most important thing to keep in mind is that it's primarily excreted via the kidneys. So that's going to be an important concept that we'll touch back on once we talk about patients who have renal impairment. Okay. So maybe uh, why don't we talk about the efficacy? Um, You mentioned that this can be used for uh, moderate and deep blockade. I imagine it can also be used for light blockade. Uh, Maybe we should talk a little bit about how to use it in terms of what kind of dosing and what kind of efficacy we see. Sure. Um, So there was a multicenter randomized parallel group um, active controlled safety assessor blinded study that was done a few years ago, and that compared the efficacy of 2 milligrams per kilogram of Sugamidex versus your 50 mics per kg of neostigmine uh, plus 10 mics per kg of glycopyrrolate for the reversal of moderate neuromuscular blockade induced by either rocuronium or vacuronium. So, Amit, what do they mean when they say moderate blockade? So the study investigators classified moderate neuromuscular blockade as a reappearance of T2, or your second twitch, in your train of four monitoring. The study included 189 patients, 87 women and 102 men. And the primary endpoint of the study was the time from the start of Sugamidex or neo-slash-glyco administration to a train of four ratio of 0.9, which is generally considered full neuromuscular blockade reversal. Great. And so what did they find? What they found was that Sugamidex dosed at 2 2 mg per kg had a recovery time of approximately 1.7 minutes for moderate reversal of rocuronium neuromuscular blockade. Wow, that's fantastic. 1.7 minutes. So even faster than that three minutes we had thought about before. Okay, so it's pretty effective at that dose for moderate blockade. Very effective, correct. Okay. Now, what about for deep blockade? Sure. So a different study with similar methodology found that a deep neuromuscular blockade with Sugamidex took approximately 2.7 minutes. And how did they define deep blockade? So deep blockade was defined as 
patients who had one to two post-Titanic uh, twitches. So one to two post-Titanic, uh, and was it less than one real twitch? Correct. Okay, so anywhere between one to two post-Titanic twitches and uh, getting one actual twitch back. And so we should probably review here um, what exactly uh, is a post-Titanic twitch. So post-Titanic counts are used in patients who have profound non-depolarizing neuromuscular blockade. How it's done is that you give a five-second tetanic stimulus at 50 hertz after you fail to elicit your normal train of four response. This is followed by a three-second pause, followed by one stimulus at one hertz until no more twitches are elicited. Okay, great. So let's see if I've got this right. So I'm going to uh, try to get a train of four. I don't get any. So now I say, okay, let me get post-Titanic. So I give a 50 hertz stimulus for five seconds, holding that down. And then after that, I wait three seconds, and then I give a stimulus every one second and count how many twitches I get, and that's my post-Titanic count. Exactly right. All right, good. So we do that, and if we have at least one to two post-Titanic twitches, so at least one to two of those illicit twitches, one to two of those stimuli of the post-Titanic count, then we're counting this as deep blockade. Is that right? That's what the study investigators classified deep blockade at. All right. So they had at least one to two post-Titanic twitches, but they didn't yet have a, an actual twitch back, and they found what? What did they do with the Sugamidex? They found that Sugamidex dosed at four migs per kg resulted in a re- reversal of deep neuromuscular blockade for rocuronium at 2.7 minutes. All right. So up from 1.7, but still pretty fast. Still uh, profoundly faster than your conventional neuromuscular reversal. Indeed, uh, this level of blockade, deep blockade, defined the way they've defined it here, is not reversible with neostigmenic glycopyrrolate. Is that right? Exactly, and that's one of the more exciting uh, properties of this medication. Okay, great. So it's my understanding that Sugaminex can also be used for what we'll call emergent reversal. Tell me about that. Yeah, and this is also a very exciting property of this medication. So, this one of the, the a, a study looked at the efficacy of reversal of neuromuscular blockade three minutes after rocuronium dosed at 1.2 mgs per kg, and that's a rapid sequence induction dose, right? Exactly. Yes. So they compared the time to recovery of neuromuscular blockade induced by succinylcholine, one mg per kg versus the reversal of neuromuscular blockade induced by rocuronium and sugamidex. And what did they find? So what they found was that the recovery from succinylcholine took approximately 7.1 minutes, and remarkably, the recovery from rocuronium took 4.4 minutes. Wow, that's incredible. So, so let me just get this straight. Succinylcholine took seven minutes uh, from the time you gave it till the recovery on average, and rocuronium given at an RSI dose, then three minutes later giving Sugamidex at 16 mg per kg, you had recovery 4.4 minutes after that, so essentially the same as sucks. So my understanding here is that you can give sucks and recover seven minutes later, you can give rock at a full RSI dose, three minutes later give Sugamidex, and four minutes after that have recovery. Is that right? Exactly. And this would be of clinical importance, obviously, in those patients where succinylcholine is contraindicated for rapid sequence induction. Absolutely. 
All right. And just to review, that would be people with a history of malignant hyperthermia, people with hyperkalemia, elevated intracranial pressure, et cetera. Yep. All right. Great. All right. So, Amit, are there any special populations of patients that we need to keep in mind in terms of dose adjustment or anything like that? Sure. Um, it's important to point out that there are really no indicated dose, adjust- dose adjustments for patients who have cardiac disease, mild to moderate renal impairment, pulmonary disease, or geriatric patients, those patients that are greater than 65 years and older. Okay. So are there any dose adjustments needed, let's say, for renal disease? Yes. So it is currently not indicated for use in patients with severe renal disease, and that includes patients who are on hemodialysis. Okay. So not recommended for patients with renal disease or hemodialysis. Now, my understanding is that this drug can build up in those patients since it's renally cleared. Uh, is there any known toxic effect of that buildup, or we just kind of don't like that it builds up? There is no known toxic effect of a buildup of the Sugamidex brachyronium in inert mo- molecule in your body. Okay. Now, how about dialysis? Can, you, can this uh, be cleared by dialysis? Yes, it actually can be cleared, but only by a high-flux filter. Uh, some clinical studies looked at the clearance of Sugamidex with hemodialysis, and they found that using a high-flux filter cleared about 70% within two to four hours. Okay, so we don't need to make adjustments in cardiac disease, hepatic impairment, but we do for renal failure, um, and we don't need to worry about the age of patients or anything like that. And dialysis, not recommended, even though we don't really have great, uh, great toxic effects that can come from the buildup. So, Amit, what level of renal impairment would make you not want to use this medication? Patients who have a creatinine clearance less than 30. Okay, great. So above 30, you're okay. Less than 30, not recommended. And then how about, uh, we've talked about this being used in the operating room. How about in the ICU? That is a patient population that has not been fully studied. Okay, so not, rec- not approved for ICU use at this time. Correct. All right. But no reason to think that it wouldn't work just the same in the ICU as it does in the operating room. Exactly. Great. All right. Amit, what about if you've given Sugamidex and for some reason you need to re-paralyze? What do you need to do? Sure. That's a great question. So Sugamidex used for reversal of neuromuscular blockade dosed at 4 mg per kg. It's recommended to have a minimum waiting time of approximately 5 minutes and the dose of neuromuscular blocking agent to be administered at that time is going to be 1.2 mg per kg of rocuronium. Okay, so if you give 4 mg per kg of Sugamidex, you can, five minutes later, use uh, an essentially an RSI dose of rock, and it'll work. What about if you give the emergency 16 mg per kg dose of Sugamidex? For that, the drug manufacturers recommend a wait time of 24 hours or to consider using a non-steroidal neuromuscular blocking agent. All right, so that's really important. So if you had given a big dose or you couldn't wait the time, then you can use, for example, cisatricurium. Exactly. All right, so Amit, this sounds like a miracle drug here. It's incredibly effective. It's fast. Um, It can reverse deep blockade. What are the downsides? What are the potential adverse effects? Sure, so the most common adverse effects that were reported in clinical studies and and clinical use are... uh, vomiting, pain, nausea, transient hypotension, and headaches. That being said, there have been multiple case reports of profound bradycardia, 
that is responsive to anticholinergic agents like atropine. And there have also been cases of anaphylaxis that have been observed. Okay, so there are some, some potential downsides to this. Now, uh, in terms of the anaphylaxis, is that common? How, how worried are we about this? There have been case reports, but it, is, it does not appear to be a common occurrence. Okay, great. So possible, keep it in mind, be ready to treat it if it happens, but this is pretty rare. And then in terms of the bradycardia that you mentioned, it sounds like uh, it's not about 5% of the time I think you can get some mild bradycardia, but this profound bradycardia that needs to be treated with atropine, I think the important things are, one, it is treatable with atropine, and two, that it's associated right with large bolus doses, is that right? Exactly right. So that would be like the 16 mg per kg dose? Yes. Okay. And again, just to remind everybody, the most common dose that we would be using here would be either to replace neostigmine and glycopyrrolate for uh, mild to moderate blockade, which would be just the 2 mg per kg dose, or uh, to reverse a more a deeper blockade would be a 4 mg per kg dose. Uh, neither of those is the big 16 mg per kg, which is what might be more likely to cause that profound bradycardia. Okay, great. Yeah. So are there any other side effects we need to keep in mind? So another consideration associated with higher doses of Sugamidex are increases in some of your coag coagulation studies, uh, more specifically your APTT and your PTN INR. So those are with the big doses you said, the 16 mg per kg that we might see that? Exactly. However, uh, all the studies that we have showing that uh, effect don't necessarily correlate with any type of clinical significance. Okay, so it's transient elevations in the coagulation studies, but no, as far as we know, no actual increase in bleeding. Correct. All right. And there is some interaction with oral contraceptive pills. Is that right? Yeah, very, very important uh, interaction from a medical legal standpoint. And that is that patients who are on oral contraceptive pills or any other type of non-oral hormonal contraceptive, those patients need to be counseled to use a non-hormonal contraceptive method or a backup method for the next seven days after administration of Sugamidex. Okay, really important. Not a, not a factor for men, not a factor for postmenopausal women, but any premenopausal woman if she's on oral contraceptive pills, they may not work, meaning she could get pregnant for up to a week after getting Sugamidex. So we really need to make sure that people are being told this either in the written consent or at the very least in verbal consent. Is that right? Exactly. And the, the primary reason behind that is because of the similarity of structure between the uh, immunosteroid neuromuscular blockers and some of the more common uh, hormonal contraceptives. Okay. And then other little things uh, to keep in mind uh, that I got from our discussion earlier. So there, it is possible for this medication to prolong the QTC. So anyone with an already extremely prolonged QT, you want to keep that in mind, uh, just like you would with giving something like um, an anti-nausea medication like Zofran. And then um, we talked about uh, a lot of the other. So you can get some nausea vomiting. You can get some headaches. In general, and you tell me, Amit, but the way I think about this medication, especially after learning more about it from you, is that uh, this is a really important medication to have available because it can do things that traditional blockade cannot, like reverse deep blockade or like reverse emergent blockade. But from a standard, your patient is has three or four twitches back at the end of a case, you really 
the advantage is this will ha- this will work faster, but you really could reverse them with either neostigmine glycopyrrolate or with sugamidex. And a lot of those decisions, I think, are going to be made at an individual hospital level based on cost. If it turns out that you can get the two mg per kg dose of sugamidex at a cost less than glycopyrrolate and neostigmine, which we right now can here, then we probably will move more toward using the sugamidex. If it's much more expensive, you're probably going to have it for emergency situations, but still stick to the neostigmine glycopyrrolate for your standard reversal. Is it that? Do you feel the same way? That's exactly right. Couldn't have said better myself. All right. Amit, anything we need to add, anything we didn't say before we let you go? I think we covered a lot of the important concepts pertaining to the use of Sagamidex. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the program. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Jed. Thanks. Hey, folks. The one thing that we didn't mention when I had Amit on that I do want to mention is that Vecuronium is also pretty reliably reversible with Sugamidex. Rock is much more tightly bound, and Sugamidex will have those incredible numbers we talked about in terms of rapidity of reversal, but Vecuronium is not far behind. So you can reverse blockade with Vecuronium. It will take a few minutes longer than it does to reverse Rocuronium, but it can be used for Vecuronium. It does not work for the cis-atricurium and atricurium family of neuromuscular blockers. All right. That's it for today. Remember, you can go to the website at ACRAC.com. That's A-C-C-R-A-C.com, where you can download all the episodes. And more importantly, you can leave comments. Have you used Sugamidex? How do you use it? How do you like it? Is it available at your institution? Let us know. You can also join the mailing list in the upper right-hand corner of the website. And, of course, you can always email me, ACRAC at ACRAC.com, if any questions or comments that you don't want to post on the site. All right, for the ACRAC podcast and Dr. Amit Prabhakar, I'm Jed Wolpaw. Remember, what you're doing out there every day is really important and valued.